Good morning and um, Happy New Year. If you are new to Watermark, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the leaders here. It's great to be with you and great to see you again and great to have seen so many of you at our Christmas service just recently. I hope that after Christmas you manage to get some rest and uh, recuperate after the Christmas rush, get ready for the new year. Um, uh, I know that we have the Lunar New Year in a few weeks' time for many of us in Hong Kong, and that's a big event. And if you have uh, children in school, it doesn't feel like a new year because the academic year hasn't started, and so it just feels like life just kind of goes from 2023 into 2024 very quickly. But here we are, 2024, it is the start of a new year. I wonder how you're feeling about this new year. One of the things I love about the new year is a chance to slow down, to think, to pray, to reflect, and to process a little bit of the year that's gone, but also the year that's to come. What is it that I'm hoping for this year? What are um, uh, some ambitions? What are, I often like to think of what's one word I want to capture for this year? And I love doing this for me personally, but also for our family. For our family, what are some things we want to prioritize this year? What are the rhythms or activities we want to start? What are some things we need to stop? What is this year going to hold? And how can we move from death to life, from pain to joy as a family? What are the two or three things that are going to characterize our lives, our family this year? But if that's true for us personally, if it's true for a family, what about us as a church family? What are some things that we're going to prioritize this year? What are the things that God is calling us to? Of course, as a church family, we can't do everything that comes to mind. We just don't have the bandwidth for that. We can't be everything to everyone. But what should we do? What should we prioritize? What are the most important things to keep at the forefront of our minds? Now, part of what makes this question difficult to answer is that there's some things that we can do. We can prioritize devotions and our worship to God and faithfulness. But there's actually many things that are out of our hands. It's only in God's hands. They're things that only God, the sovereign God, can do. God is not a slot machine that you put in a bunch of prayers and out come the results, right? There's some things we can do, but there's many things that only God can do. So as we think about this question, I want us to go to a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, a very famous passage in Ezekiel chapter 37. And we're going to look at it, and we're going to get from this passage some things that I think God wants to speak to us about, about His heart for us this year. So on that note, let me call up Rachel, who's going to do the scripture reading. Let's listen to the reading of God's word. Over to you, Rachel. Morning. This morning's reading comes from Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37. Starting in chapter 36, verses 22, we read, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. 
I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Then in chapter, verse one, chapter 37, verse 1, we read, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophecy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophecy to the breath, prophecy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. And our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophecy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of God. Great. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for that long reading. Um, Hey, let's pray together uh, as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, the triune God, We come before you this morning, God, the first Sunday of the new year. God, we come to your word because we want to hear from you. 
We don't just want your word in our heads. We want by your spirit for it to lodge in our hearts. We want you, God, to speak to us. God, I pray that you by your spirit will do what we cannot do, what I cannot do. That you will cause fresh life in our heart and our souls, Lord. Lord, as we come to the start of this new year, in some ways, one day doesn't change from the next. You are faithful forever. Just as you have been faithful, you will be faithful. In some ways, God, you are not doing anything particularly new. You're doing what you always have done. But God, also, this new year is a chance to dream afresh, to think afresh. Lord, won't you come and have your way in our midst this year? I pray for us as a church, Lord. I pray that we will be very attentive to your spirit, very attentive to your leading, your guiding. I pray that our hearts will be soft towards you. God, we need you. We say, Lord, that we need you. Each one of us individually and as a church family, as a city, God, we need you. We need you to move in our midst. God, you know each one of us, the fears, the joys, the anxieties, the hopes, the dreams and the worries that we have. Won't you come and meet each one of us at that place? Come and minister to us. Come and draw near to us. Come and be our Father. Come and... Fill our hearts with your love, we pray. God, this year we want to walk closely with you. And so now as we look at your word and for the rest of this year, come and draw us closer to yourself, we pray, God. Lord, we pray these things in your wonderful and your gracious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're looking at this passage, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel is not an easy book of the Bible. I encourage you to read it, but it's not necessarily easy. And the context is this, Ezekiel is a prophet in the Old Testament, um, and he has given a message to God's people who are the nation of Israel. And the, the book of Ezekiel, really, Ezekiel's message contains three things. It is an explanation. It's explaining why God's people, the nation of Israel, are in the condition that they're in. As we're going to hear in a few minutes' time, they're in a very bad state. Things are not going well for them. And Ezekiel is explaining to him, this is why you are in this place that you are in. It's also a a correction. Ezekiel is not just saying, this is the way things are. He's saying, this is the way things are, but come back to the Lord. It's a call to return to God and to follow him. But it's not only an explanation of why things are bad and a call to correction. God's word always contains a promise promise of hope. God speaks through Ezekiel and says, I will do something for you or better in you, something that you cannot do for yourselves. But first, before Ezekiel gets there, before we get there, Ezekiel is going to explore the devastating condition that Israel are in. Their condition is very bad and it's a result of their refusal to love and follow their God, their covenant keeping God. And so God has handed them over to their very worst nightmare. Their worst nightmare has come upon them. Their worst enemies, the Babylonians, have come and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. The Babylonians, this ruthless nation from the northwest, have come. They've uh, burnt the crops in the fields. They've destroyed the houses, destroyed the land. They've destroyed the temple. They've killed hundreds, thousands of people. Uh, The temple, they've taken the very best articles, the the furnishings of gold and silver. They've removed them for themselves and set them up in their own temple in Babylon, this pagan temple, which is 
sacrilegious. And the rest of the temple, they've burnt down. They've brought pigs into the temple, which if you're a Jewish person, is kind of the worst thing that you can do. They, they've, they've killed lots of people. Some of the strongest and the best and the brightest, they've marched off to Babylon to uh, use as servants and slaves in their empire. The rest have left for dead. And then they take the king. They kill his children before the, the king's eyes. And they poke out the king's eyes so that the last thing he sees, his last memory, will be seeing his children die before him. And they put him in chains and they, in shackles and they march him off to Babylon to be their slave. And it's almost impossible to describe the intensity of the devastation and the hopelessness that God's people feel at this time. Their, their loss is this is a total loss. It's political loss, obviously. Financial loss, okay, they're now desperate. It's relational loss. It's a, it's a physical loss. It's spiritual loss. So the worst thing about this is their sense of abandonment by God. To almost everyone in Israel, it seems as if God's promises have failed. God has not kept up his covenant. What of all those promises that God made to him about, I will give you a king who will stay on the throne forever? What's happened to that? What about God's promises that, that uh, they will possess the land and drive out their enemies? What about God's promises of being a shield around them, a prince of peace, Alan spoke about a few weeks ago, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father? Where are all these promises now? And so the essential question facing Israel at this time, God's people is, has God's promise, uh, patience run out forever? Has God's promises failed? Were we foolish to think that God would come through for us? Has our faith been an exercise in futility? Friends, I wonder if these questions have ever crossed your mind. Maybe you're someone who you used to, at the start of the new year, have dreams and hopes and ambitions for the year, but you've long gone given up on such futility. Maybe you've abandoned such thinking. Maybe you've concluded there's no point in really planning for the year. It's just going to end in disappointment anyway. Maybe the idea of the promises of God's covenant faithfulness, his steadfast love, seems like wishful thinking at best, a cruel joke at worst. Well, it's into this context that God speaks his word, and his word is like a ray of sun breaking in through the clouds on a dark and overcast day, because God speaks a word of hope, hope to a people that are facing hopelessness, and God gives Ezekiel a vision, and in this vision, he takes Ezekiel to a valley, and the valley is a valley of desolation. A couple of times previously in the book of Ezekiel, God takes Ezekiel, he gives him a, vi a vision of a valley, and both times this is a vision of judgment. But here, it's different. It's a vision of hope. In this vision that God gives Ezekiel, the valley is covered in sun-scorched bones, dismembered skeletons, a long-abandoned nation. These aren't just one or two skeletons, one or two unlucky people who came to an unfortunate end. This is an entire army, an entire nation uh, who have come to a horrible end. We all know that to not give somebody a decent burial is a very humiliating thing. 
Do not give somebody an honorable farewell. Here is a nation of people that have come to an unfortunate end. But more than that, there's some kind of curse. There's some kind of judgment. Nobody has buried them. They've been left for dead. They've been left for humiliation and shame. I think of when I, when I read this passage, I think of the killing fields of Cambodia. If you've ever been to Cambodia and you, you see just these, these statues of skulls that they found, or maybe the concentration camps in Europe and World War II, just endless bones of people that have been left for dead. Look at verse 11 in your bulletin with me. Verse 11 says, Then God said to me, Son of man, these bones are the house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Ezekiel realizes these aren't just any bones. This is a picture of God's people. This is what God's people have become. But of course, the point of the vision is not just what God's people have become. It's what God is going to do with them. Ezekiel knows the depth of despair to which Israel has fallen. He's been speaking about it for years. For years he's been warning them, saying, Israel, your future is looking bleak. But the point of the vision is what God is going to do with his people who have become a shadow of what they meant to be. And what is God going to do? He's going to do with them and in them what they cannot do for themselves. He's going to restore them. He's going to renew them. He's going to resuscitate them and give them new life. God is going to revive them. Look at verse 3 to 10 with me. It's quite long, but let's read it together. Ezekiel says, Then God said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I answered him, Oh God, you alone know. That's a great answer, by the way. Ezekiel knows. Okay, the natural logical answer is not a chance. Imagine you're a doctor, you've got a couple of doctors, you're working in A&E at uh, Queen Mary, and uh, you get a call, paramedics coming, we've got a dead patient on a stretcher coming in, get ready with the resuscitation equipment. Okay, we're ready, and in comes a dry skeleton, okay? These bones are not going to live. Can these bones live? Not a chance. But Ezekiel knows God is in the habit of doing the miraculous. And so he says, I don't know, God, you alone know. Verse 4, then he said to me, prophesy. That means speak God's word over these bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you, cause flesh to come upon you, cover you with skin and put my breath in you and you shall live and you will know that I am the Lord God. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, behold, a rattling, bones coming together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh was covering them. Skin had covered them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, O son of man, and say, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded, the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. God's word to his people, as I've said, is that he's going to do something in them, something to them, before he does anything for them. God is not just going to improve their circumstances. He's going to renew them. God's not just going to change their circumstances. He's going to change their being, their very essence, their identity. God's not just going to simply bless them. He's going to revitalize and renew them. 
See, the problem facing God's people is not a superficial problem. They haven't just come with a broken finger, just a, a slight cut or, or need for antibiotics. No, friends, these people are in desperate need for renewing. Okay, well, that's good and well. But the question is, what does this have to do with us today? I mean, nice history lesson, ancient Israel, good for them. Here we live in 21st century, 2024 Hong Kong. What does this have to do with us? Friends, what we have here is a picture of what God says he will do to his people that have been left broken by sin. Indeed, more than just broken, they are left for dead because of their sin. This, what God does for ancient Israel, is what God always does for his people. Friends, this is what the whole Bible is about. It's the message of the Old Testament. It's the message of the New Testament. It's the whole point of Christmas, why Jesus came. It's the point of Easter, why Jesus died on the cross. The whole message of the Bible, every page of the Bible, drips with this truth that God takes those who are dead and broken and lost and God does something in them and to them and for them which we could not do for ourselves. God revives the dying and the dead. God renews us. Listen to how the Apostle Paul writes it in uh, Ephesians, very famous. He says, as for you, as for me, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient, among whom we all once lived, following the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. We were by nature children of wrath. That means we were by nature dead under God's judgment, having no hope. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of his great love with which he loved us. We spoke about that on Christmas, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, it's not when we'd done a whole lot of good things, when we were dead, he made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable greatness of his Riches of kindness towards us in Christ, by grace we have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Friends, if you are a Christian this morning, this is how you became a Christian. Not because you did a whole lot of good things, but because God poured faith into your hearts so that you cried out to him recognizing your sin, asked him to have mercy, and God took you who were dead and made you alive again in Christ Jesus. Friends, the good news of Ezekiel to Israel is the same good news of the gospel to you and I today. This is what God is doing in the world. And if you're not a Christian this morning, this is what God wants to do in you and through you and for you. God is calling to you Turn to him in faith and repentance so that God can pour his spirit into your heart so that you can be made new and come to know him and love him and experience him. Friends, our faith, apart from God's reviving work, is a faith of eternal separation for God in hell forever. But our faith by God's grace can be an eternal embrace 
by God in glory of his love forever. This is what God is doing in the world, and this is what God is still doing. Okay, but now the question is, well, some of us may, many of us here are Christians already. So you may say, okay, well, that happened to me back in 2010. God changed my life radically. I was one person. I met God, changed my life. Amazing. But now it's 2024. So what does that have to do with me? Or maybe it happened much earlier, 1995 or 1975. What does that have to do with us today? We've often said this, but the gospel is not just the way into God's kingdom. It's the way of God's kingdom. It's not just the doorway that you walk into, it is that, but it's also the pathway that you walk in God's kingdom. As Tim Keller famously used to say, the gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian life, it's the A to Z of the Christian life. In other words, when God by his spirit moves to renew and revitalize and restore, for some people that means getting saved, born again for the first time. They encounter the living God and God changes their lives. I was chatting to someone recently. That happened to them just a few months ago, this year, last year, not this year, last year. Changing life, amazing, praise God. But friends, for some of us, we might be what we call nominal Christians. Maybe you've grown up in the church, you always go to church, you're part of a CG, you do the Christian thing. Nominal means you're a Christian by name, but not by essence. In other words, your heart hasn't really been changed, revitalized. You've never encountered the living God. He hasn't changed you. And so you go through the motions, but you've never encountered the living God. God wants to revive you, renew you, restore you. But for some of us, we may be what you call sleepy Christians. In other words, we just sleepwalking our way through the Christian life, right? It's kind of like our faith is on airplane mode. It's there, but it's in the background. It's not really having any vital impact on our day-to-day life. We're actually more focused on work and money and career and children, but, but it's kind of in the background. Friends, God wants to revive us and renew us and restore us. And for some of us, in fact, probably all of us, just the reality of life has a way of wearing our faith down and our love for Christ down. And you start off Monday on a high, and by Friday, you're just trying to hold on. Friends, God wants to renew us and revive us and restore us. And so what that means is that all of us, whether you're an elder pastor or whether you've just slunken at the back from a difficult weekend, all of us, all of us need God's renewing, reviving, restoring, renewing work in our lives. But notice something else in this passage. How does God do this? What are the tools, what are the mechanisms that God uses? Does he say, Ezekiel, go to the bones and say, abracadabra? No, he doesn't do that, all right? Ezekiel, go and lay your hands on the bones. No, he doesn't do that. Ezekiel, go and spray the bones with holy oil from Israel. No, he doesn't do that. What must Ezekiel do? Notice there are two things that God uses to revive his people, Israel. He uses his word and he uses his spirit. Look at verse 4 with me. It actually says it all over, but... Look at how many times he talks about the word prophesy. Verse 4, then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, verse 7. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. Now, 
I mentioned this briefly earlier. Uh, the word prophesy doesn't mean to predict the future. We sometimes think prophets are those who can foretell the future. They can predict the future. And the reason we think that is because in the Old Testament, often the prophets come to Israel and they say, Israel, if you don't turn from God, this is what's going to happen. And then they don't turn from God and that is what happens. And so we think, oh, prophets are those who can predict the future. To prophesy just means to speak God's word on behalf of God to God's people. So a prophet is someone who speaks God's word on behalf of God to his people. Notice how often God, what does God tell Ezekiel to do? Ezekiel prophesied, in other words, speak my word. Speak my word to my people. My people who are dead and dying, speak my word. Ezekiel, don't speak your words. Give my words that I give you. Because my words have life, have power. Friends, in God's economy, God's power and authority are not found in people, but in his words. In other words, in a great church, it's not a great leader or a great pastor that has power and authority. The power and authority are not, don't reside on the person. It resides in God's word that God speaks. It's one of the reasons why as a church, we want to preach expositional sermons. Because who cares about what my ideas are or Neil's ideas? You don't come to church to hear our thinking. Who cares what we think? What we want is what is God saying to us? It's God's word that changes people's lives. God's word has power and authority, which we, God's people, are called to speak. And so in the vision God gives, it's not Ezekiel, the man of God, who causes the bones to live. It's rather something that God does as Ezekiel speaks God's word. But notice the word itself is not enough, because look at verse 7 and 8. Ezekiel says, so I prophesied, I spoke God's word as I was commanded. And as I spoke, there's a sound and the rattling and the bones come together. I looked and behold, there are sinews on them. Flesh has come upon them. Skin has covered them. But there's a problem. End of verse 8, there was no breath in them. In other words, they come together, but there's no life. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy, speak God's word to the breath. Prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, come on breath. Come breathe on these that they may live. So I spoke God's word as he commanded me. And the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet. An exceedingly great army. Now, in the Hebrew language, the word for breath or wind and spirit is the same word. It's the word pneuma. Uh, like you think of uh, pneumonia is where we've got a problem with our lungs, right? That's about as much as I know is pneumonia. Pneumonia has to do with our breathing, our lungs. Pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. So the word breath and spirit in Hebrew is the same word. Ezekiel here, there's a play on words. What he's saying is, just as lifeless bodies are nothing without breath in their lungs, so a, Christ, a, a person that thinks of themselves as a Christian or a church is nothing without God's spirit in our hearts, reviving us and renewing us. It's why later on, verse 9, he talks about the breath, and then later on he says, I will cause my spirit to enter them. Why? It's the same thing. Friends, a church without the spirit of the living God, illuminating our minds, reviving our hearts, making us more like Christ, is no more a church than a lifeless corpse is a husband or a wife, a son, a brother or a sister. And so here we have one of the greatest pictures in the Bible of how the word and the spirit work together. How does God revive and renew his people? 
through his word being spoken and taught and explained and understood and come alive and prayed and sat under and submitted to. It's why we have the Bible reading plan. So that hopefully every one of us every day are getting into God's word and letting God's word speak to us and change our hearts. But friends, God's word alone, if it just sits in our minds, is not enough. We need God's spirit to take the truth of these words and write it on our hearts and to change our hearts. We need God's spirit to penetrate our hearts and illuminate our minds and correct our thinking and arrest our prejudices and expose our sin and weaken our pride and ultimately change us to become like Jesus. So what does this mean for us? Well, one of the things it means is we need to be a church that prays. We need God's word, but we need God's spirit as well. We must be a church that prays. Think of Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus says to one of the churches, I know your works, your many works, and I know you have the reputation of being alive, because you look like you've got it all together, but actually you did. How do we come alive? We pray, God, we need you. We need your spirit to come and work inside of us. God, come and let your word, your gospel, so penetrate our hearts and our minds and our wills and our emotions and our pride that it changes us, that it takes that which is dead or dying or sick and it makes us alive again. Now, one last thing before we get to practically what does this mean for us. Um, Look at chapter 36 that Rachel read to us. There's lots we could say in this passage, but there's one thing found in chapter 36 that is actually throughout this whole section in Ezekiel, but it's really important. Why does God do this? Why is God going to revive and renew his people? And why doesn't God just say, I'm done with you, let's just start again? What is the motivation of God's heart? Well, look at what he says here. Is it because we are the good ones? You know, we the A-grade students, we the top of the class, uh, we're the best of the bunch. And so God looks at us and says, Watermark, I really need you. And so I'm going to do a work in you that you can be your best. No, that's not the reason. Look at what he says in verse 36, uh, chapter 36, verse 22. Thus says the Lord, sorry, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my own name, which you have profaned amongst the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you've profaned, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. From all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and to obey my rules. Friends, what's God's point here? The point is that God is reviving and renewing, and his work is always a work of grace, not by works. Friends, it's done for the praise of his great name, not the praise of our great name. The point is not that God says, I will lift up Watermark's name in Hong Kong, and that all will see how great you are. No, the point is that all will see how great he is. Friends, when God sends his spirit to revive and renew us, it's not because we are worthy, it's because he is worthy of worship. It's not because we are holy or righteous or wonderful, it's because he is all those things. 
He will glorify his great name amongst us. And our response will be, great are you, Lord. Okay, are you with me? Okay. So what does this actually mean for us? Well, let me close with just a couple of thoughts for us this year. In 2024, what should we be thinking about, focusing on, prioritizing? In some ways, if you've been coming to Watermark for a while, none of this will be new. But anyway, here we go again. In 2024, friends, let's be a community that cherishes the gospel. We've only scratched the surface of the Bible's teaching of the new life that is in Christ. But Watermark, let's make sure we are crystal clear on the good news of the gospel and what Jesus did. Jesus came not to simply improve our lives. Jesus came not simply to give us life insurance from hell one day. Jesus came not to give us good advice how to live our lives. Jesus came to take people who were dead and lost in themselves and had no hope of saving themselves and came to revive us and renew us. Christ came to save us from an eternal death and to give us an eternal life, people like me, people like you. And so friends, let's treasure the gospel. Let's make sure that this year we love the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Let's make sure we never lose sight of the wonder and the awe and the joy and the profound reality of what the gospel is all about. Let's treasure the gospel that God saved us from hell and brought us into his family. Friends, secondly, let's be a community of both the word and the spirit. The temptation for all Christians and all churches is to focus on one or the other. And so either we're very word people, we just study the word and we analyze it, we know the Greek and the Hebrew and we know all the cross references and we know our Bible's back to front, but it all just lodges in our mind. It doesn't change our hearts. Sometimes we think, oh, it's so dry and we need the Spirit. So we we go to the other side and we think, God, just, just do whatever you want, God. But actually, it's God's word and the Spirit that works together. And so what that means, friends, is let's get to know God's word this year. Let's get to know how God speaks to his word. Not using it as we wanted to say. Let's really submit to the authority of God's word. Let's let God speak to us through his word. But let's not just let it result, uh, stay in our minds. Let's pray the word. Say, God, come send your spirit. I need you. God, come and illuminate my mind. Come penetrate my heart. Come and arrest my will. Come reveal sin. Let let your word be a spotlight that shines in my life. God, let me not just read your word, but let your word read me. Come and show me what's going on in my heart. God, by your spirit, revive and change me and knew me. Let's ask God the Holy Spirit to renew our hearts and give us a passion for Jesus and the gospel. Cause him to love him above all else. Friends, this year, let's be a community of prayer. Prayer is hard work. It's hard work. That's why the Apostle Paul writes and he says, labor in prayer. Sometimes it does feel like that. It's a labor. But friends, God almost never moves in power in a church or a city or a community without a bunch of people getting on their knees and saying, God, we need you. Prayer is our admission that we are helpless apart from God. Prayer admits, God, we need you. Prayer is us getting on our knees and saying, God, I am not enough. Friends, what our church needs and what our city needs is not better leaders or better pastors, though we probably do need that as well. 
not a prophet to come. What we need is God to move in our midst. And I've got bad news for us. None of the elders can do that. We can't manufacture that. Only God can do it. But we do have a Father in heaven who loves to give his spirit and who loves to bless us and who loves to save us and who loves to renew us. And so let's ask him, God, come move in our midst. Friends, fourthly, let's be a community that hates sin. If you've been following the Watermark Bible reading plan this week, you've been reading Genesis 1 to 7. And you'll see the utter devastation. We're going to look at it next Sunday. The utter devastation that sin brings in the world. And we see it again here in Ezekiel 37, right? Look what has happened to these people. This is God's chosen people. His nation that he saved out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb, the Passover, led into the promised land, God's abundant goodness to them. And yet their sin and rebellion has left them dead like dry bones in exile in Babylon. Friends, sin is always more serious than we think it is. And it always, always leads to death. Death of relationships. Death of identity. Death of self-worth. Death of knowing God. Utter and total mess. Friends, God loves to save sinners and he loves to bring people back to him. But the path is often very painful. It's very painful. And so let's flee from sin. Let's hate it. Let's ask God to give us a distaste for it. Let's hate what sin does in our lives and in the world and our friends' lives. Let's ask God to have mercy. And then finally, friends, let's be a community that love those who don't know Christ. Friends, this is the greatest city in the world. If you live outside of Hong Kong, welcome to the great city of Hong Kong. Um, this is the best city in the world. But friends, this city is full of people that don't know him and don't know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The city is full of people who are dying because they are spiritually dead. And the city is full of people that have never encountered the renewing, revitalizing work of God. Friends, there may be people that are very wealthy. They may be in Ivy League schools, perfect externalities. They have the great house, the great job, members of all the clubs, but their souls are dying. Friends, let's love our city enough to tell our city about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on the cross for sinners like me, like you, like us, like our city. Let's love our neighbors and our colleagues and our family members enough to speak God's word, the gospel. And then to pray that God will send a spirit to use his word to cause people to be born again. So friends, 2024, we have in front of us. What should we do? What should we prioritize? Well, let's prioritize the gospel. Let's come back to God. Let's ask God to make us a church that is vibrant and alive because his spirit and his work is in light of us. We love the Lord Jesus, treasure the gospel, love one another, and love our city with the good news of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we love this dramatic picture in Ezekiel, God, as it shows us and explains to us in such dramatic and vivid form what you are doing, what you've been doing for thousands of years, God, saving people who could not save themselves. God, many of us in this room have encountered your saving grace. Our lives have been turned around by you. And God, we, our result is, as Paul says in Ephesians, to the praise of your glorious grace. All glory to you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, for some of us, we're still on the journey. We're still trying to get to know you. 
God, I pray, won't you, by your spirit, cause us to be born again, cause us to be saved, God. Open the eyes of our hearts to see the depravity that we have, that we are without you, but the hope of Jesus. God, thank you that you loved us enough to Jesus come and die for us. God, I pray, lastly, for us as a church, that we will be vibrant and passionately in love with you. God, that's something that only your spirit can do. We can't manufacture it. We can't force it. We can't stir up the emotions, God. Emotions fall down. But what we can do is ask you by your spirit, God, to awaken our hearts, to revive and to renew us. God, for those of us who are just sleepy, we are on autopilot. Oh God, won't you come and move in our midst? God, for those of us who are maybe nominal Christians, we're Christian in the name, but there's no reality, no essence. Come and save us. God, for all of us, I pray this year that as we go to work and school and college and university and as we stay at home, God, you'll send your spirit into our hearts and we will walk with you. We will love you. We will treasure you. God, come and have your way in our church, in our midst, we pray. In your great and gracious name, amen.